Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. We're back. Oh, good. Uh, anyway, uh, so thrilled that you guys are here with us. This is our 20 of the Autism Network podcast-a-thon, and we're so excited to be here for Ask Dr. Doreen with Dr. Doreen Grampiche, a true expert in the field of autism. I'm Shannon. I'm a pony. I'm a parent of a neurodiverse individual. I that love is that. that is how I identify now, and I love it because it makes me think that I have a ponytail. But not only do I not have a ponytail, I'm about to have no hair whatsoever. If you if you don't know about this, you need to know. Uh, we we are doing some fundraising during this podcastathon. Dr. Grampichet has a wonderful charity that she founded. Tell them a little bit about it. Autism Care Today Act Today. Please, you guys, we. I haven't checked, but I want to make sure that we reach at least 5,000 in donations. Uh, you know, we give uh, grants to families. And if you can just even donate $1, uh, it all goes towards families. And our goal here, uh, this is where we're collecting the funds, givebutter.com slash iPad challenge. Do not ask me. Who came up with that name <laughs> or how? I'm going to put it on Sarah Twiddell. I think it was. And I think so it was. It, it, we're hoping that we will raise $5,000 for iPads because we get a lot of requests for iPads. And if you uh, help us reach $5,000, then Shannon has agreed that on hour 44, which is tomorrow at 10 a.m., please don't miss it. When we are live, I will have the experience of shaving her head on live podcast, which will be so much fun. And we will take all this Brillo pad of gray off. Uh, it will be bald. It'll be there we have amazing. It. And then we can paint my face blue and I can be the genie, um, which I've always wanted to be. So uh, we all want to see that. We all want to see Dr. Grampiche shave my head. So please donate what you can. A dollar is not too little. Uh, and that will go towards iPads, which, because that's a a project that mm-hmm. is very near and dear to both of our hearts, functional communication. It's a right for every human being. We also are giving away another 10 gift cards during this hour for Discovery awesome. Toys. We want to thank Discovery Toys. They make amazing toys. You can go check out their full line of toys. They want, we, we've given them so many awards over the years in our toy and gift guide, which is available on the Autism Network homepage. You can go and look there. Uh, these gift cards will be for $25 each. They are only good on the USA 
Discovery Toys site. They won't be good at Amazon or other retailers or overseas, but uh, you will get that information if you win. You'll need to send me your email address at the end of the hour. I will say who the winners are and you'll have to send me your email and I'll send it back to you. The way you win one, the way you enter to win one is by making a comment or giving a question during this next hour. We have people backstage who are writing down the names every time somebody makes a comment and then they go into a hat for 10 names to be picked out. I want to make you aware of the fact that you can only win one time during the podcast-a-thon. We want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to win uh, a gift certificate. So if you've already won, keep asking questions, but know that you won't be entered to win again. So uh, it makes it really great. If you've just come in and you're like, I don't have one, I haven't won one, you've got great chances. Start asking questions. Before we went to break, we promised that we were going to get to 100% Authentic's comment that she wrote in um, before the break. Um, this is about her granddaughter that she was able to go and get uh, for reevaluation mm-hmm. tomorrow. She mm-hmm. says, some of the facts that I learned yesterday is that it seems that my granddaughter is addict- addicted to sex or self-arousal. She has been emailing men extensive sexual conversations. We had to take away electronic devices because it's scary. Mm-hmm. She was using the iPad from school to have these conversations. It seems she left for sexual reasons. She shows aggravation in regards of wanting sex when she wants it uh, she wants it I'm not really sure how to ask this this seems to be a problem we have directed her to make friends with someone and build the relationship Mm -hmm. this is uh, I I think a very um, a difficult conversation Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but it's not an uncommon conversation um, that uh, you know I I have to be very careful what I say because there are people that I know that have daughters that are on the autism spectrum that have have faced issues with this. Mm-hmm. Um, that it seems like, and I won't say that the men haven't faced it too, but it, it kind of manifests in a different way, it seems mm-hmm. like to me. But so I'm terribly interested to hear what you want to say about this. Yeah, and I... I hope that I don't, I'm going to be very open and frank as I always am, but, and I hope that I don't offend anyone with my answer, but I appreciate uh, you writing this and asking this question. Um, And I want to begin by pointing out that there's two things here that I see in your question. Um, First of all, I want to say I wish I knew more about your granddaughter. I know very little. I don't even know her age. I don't know her functioning level. 18. I don't know her functioning level. And uh, I think if I'm correct, yesterday we established that she also suffers from other comorbid issues like anxiety, etc. But all of that plays a role in this. But just focusing on, on this particular issue, just reading your question that you wrote in, recognize that we're talking about two different issues here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and again, behavior depends on reinforcers. Behavior increases when it is followed by a reward or reinforcer. And in this particular case, the self-arousal or masturbation could be a reinforcer that you might allow in order to have your granddaughter have some physical uh, satisfaction or reinforcer 
as opposed to wanting sex itself, because if you know if she learns the, that self arousal is okay in private, I and it, you know it, it's much safer, obviously, and so that could be something that uh, would would reduce her desire of actual sex with strangers, with people she doesn't know, uh, because now she's getting that reinforcer or value or somewhere else in a safe environment. But the other thing that I want to point out is that conversations, sexual conversations with men isn't sex. What she's getting there is attention. Mm -hmm. So on the one hand, you might be, she might very well be craving and wanting the sexual arousal, which she could potentially satisfy through self-satisfaction uh, or, you know, masturbation. But on the other hand, she's seeking out male attention, mm -hmm. which could also be replaced, but you have to focus on replacing that appropriately. So, you know, male attention, uh, and, and again, you have to identify what aspect of the male attention it is that she's seeking. Perhaps it, she feels beautiful when she has these conversations. And are there other ways that you can give her that attention and that satisfaction and make her feel good about herself through other means, like other men who are family members or people that you trust can actually reassure her, have conversation with her, let her know that she is wonderful, and so on. Yeah, I, the, I guess the thing that I want to add to this fire is that, uh, and I'm so glad that we have Amy uh, on the, the lineup, because Amy talks about this, Amy Gravino, who is an autism sexuality advocate and relationship coach. And she, I just saw her on a panel talking about this so eloquently, about the fact that a lot of times, because a child isn't progressing on some planes, mm -hmm. the same as their neurotypical peers, that a, that sometimes they're infantil, infantilized. Mm -hmm. Is that the word that mm -hmm. I want? Infantilized, and that, yeah. And that we don't always recognize as parents, because we're looking at our kids and seeing kids, and it's not really a part of our repertoire to go, oh, there's a sexual being, yeah, right? That doesn't fit yeah. well for us. Yeah. It's not a part of our thinking. And yet, even though they are individuals that are on the spectrum, they are sexual beings. Yes. She's 18 years old. And if she wasn't on the spectrum, uh, you know, when we think about the, the continuum of humanity, and if you think about all the 18 girls that, 18 year old girls that you've ever known, including yourself, oh. that you were 18 at some point. I mean, I had girls that I was friends with that that's all they thought about were boys. Yeah. And, and, you know, which boy am I gonna, you know, hook right. up with? And that they, my mother called it boy crazy, right? right? Right. And then there were girls who were shy and didn't really, right? And so that same spectrum would exist with individuals who are on the right, spectrum. Right. And that part of it is there is an element of normalcy there. There is, absolutely. But even if even when you're thinking of neurotypical development mm -hmm. and that phase where we're, girls are like into boys and mm -hmm. so on, um, you have to realize that it is a more of a mental thing than a sexual thing for girls. Okay. So like girls are not, when they're thinking about boys, they don't think sex, they think love. Yes. And it's a, an interesting difference with boys and girls that, that sexuality develops quite differently that way. So that's why I'm saying in this particular case, 
you know, if it is actual arousal, sexual arousal, yeah. give her that way yeah. of satisfying her. And if it is more mental and about love, which a lot of times is just wanting to be noticed, wanting yes. to be to be felt special. It's wanting, power. Yes. It's power and it's control and it's it makes you Give feel her good that. about yep. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So because I, I think it can get scary. I think we can get overwhelmed by it and start yes. thinking, oh, my gosh. You know, uh, but I, I, I love your advice. And I, I hope that this grandmother feels a little bit more secure. Yeah, in and it. I think she commented again. She said, we don't have the problem with masturbation. Let me go to that comment. It's further down. Hello, hello, hello. Where is it? We don't have the problem with masturbation. However, she is uh, doing in front of her 12-year-old brother. Right. We've directed to a private space. Sex is not taboo in our family. Congratulations to you. We just want her to have it in a healthy way. Perfect. That's a good, healthy way That's to look absolutely. at it. Absolutely. And you'll just keep reminding her that this is a private activity. Yeah. And uh, moving her to a private environment. And... And that's what you have to do. Yeah, there we go. And that might be difficult, but, it, but it's doable. It might doable. not be enough is what I'm saying. It may, you also need to pay attention to the social aspect yes. or the emotional aspect that, you know, in those conversations that she's having with men, it isn't about sex. It's about wanting attention. That's a very different thing. However, with the Internet, uh, and again, i got to be careful so that I don't give private things away, but I, I have one friend that I know that the teenage daughter was online, as you're saying, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think she was looking for that love and attention and mm -hmm. all of that. But the men that she was talking to online you know, would get on planes from faraway places, and they were not interested oh, in, exactly. in the friendship and the, and the unsafe. compassion, and um, they, were, right. they were hoping to hook up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that yeah. can be a very scary thing. Very scary. Um, okay. Uh, Parker has, says he's hearing the, the yay again. I don't know if you know this, but Traven has put in uh, sort of like, I don't know if you know about the pro program iCarly. Yeah, sure. Uh, and how they have the little buttons and they would go, yay. Yeah, and yeah, so every yeah. once in a while, oh, uh, Traven hits the yay now and, and it's one of Parker's favorite things. That's funny. We love that. Uh, okay. We're welcoming Autism Journey with Elijah. We're, we're thrilled that you're here. And Joanne says it's hour 20. Yeah. We're feeling yay! it, Joanne. <laughs> I am anyway. Uh, Parker says, I have a question, but this isn't for me. Prom season is around the corner for the teens. How can they prepare for it from asking a date to the etiquette during dinner and dancing? I don't need this, but there is something my mom would, uh, w this is something that my mom would have asked years ago. And I just want to say that right before we came in, I got an email and I didn't have a whole lot of time to look at it, but um, there, the sneaker ball is this weekend. Oh. Um, and that is like a prom, but it's for um, individuals that are on the spectrum of all ages. Ages, Parker, mm -hmm. and it's not a bad idea to throw a prom. Lots of people throw proms Absolutely. now, um, so maybe maybe this would be helpful to you long term. Maybe you want to throw a prom for your first uh, event event that you're doing. I don't know. Just be an thinking. organizer, yeah. But and and Parker, there's I don't know. I'm not aware of anyone who's written material exactly on this, but it's a very worthwhile topic because. You know, even neurotypical people also have a hard time with how do I ask a girl, which girl, what are the subtle signs that yeah. I can uh, be somewhat assured that the answer is going to be positive? What if it's not? How do I cope with that? Um, and, you know, we can certainly uh, 
do an hour on this conversation and talk about just some pointers that we can give. Wouldn't that be a great reality uh, show? Like, you yeah. know, one hour, two hour, prom 101. Yep. Uh, I kind of like that. Yeah, All right. Now, yeah. I said after this, I'm not throwing any big, uh, big events, but already I'm like, oh, maybe we should throw a prom. Somebody stop me. Yes. Parker, you should throw a prom. I should not be throwing a proms. But can I say that we have a lot of organizations in Los Angeles, and the one that comes most to mind is uh, Fullerton Cares, mm-hmm. that I don't know if they're doing it again after the pandemic, but before the pandemic, every year they would, when the prom season would happen, they would have um, people could apply um, and they would mentor them through this, Mm -hmm. including having local florists give the corsages and the things. Uh, What what do they call them when the the wrist, I guess it's a wrist corsage. And and, uh, the Larry, uh, I can't think, I just totally drew a blank, Larry. What is your last name? Uh, His restaurant Mm -hmm. would allow them to come and have the dinner there. uh, The local hair salon would do their hair. That's amazing. um, And they made it a whole big thing for them every year. I love that. The the local limousine company would sponsor. So, And they're not the only ones who do this, but Fullerton Cares does it extra. But uh, there might be something like that in your area, Parker. And if there isn't, again, an opportunity to start one. Uh, Okay. Dahlia has said, my son has big challenges with sleep, falling and staying asleep. He has restless leg Mm. syndrome and periodic limb movement syndrome. In addition, he has sleep fragmentation Mm. and increased arousals evident on sleep study. We are working with integrative medicine physician for investigations and started him on the GFCF diet. He is on iron, vitamin D, and fish oil supplements as recommended by the physician. The sleep medicine specialist did not recommend any medications Mm. given. Uh, he is only two and a half years old. Oh, okay. On the other hand, his pediatrician has been recommending clonidine for a long time, oh. even before the sleep study was done. His poor sleep is negatively affecting his, uh, his benefiting from therapy and activities during the day. Is clonidine truly his only option to start sleeping better? I have tried many behavioral measures to improve his sleep without any success. We tried melatonin with no benefit. We were asked to stop it given the risk of contamination contamination with other substances so frustrating and i think that is the last comment there it is very frustrating i hear you i don't think i think you can try other things prior to clonidine i would recommend that you talk to your pediatrician about just benadryl uh diphenhydramine which is very effective and can be given to children who are one or two uh, in liquid form, and that's very easy to do. Uh, so that's, you know, the combination of Benadryl and perhaps a very, very low dose of melatonin together is, in my opinion, much less intrusive than, than starting a round of clonidine. Um, I would also suggest that you make sure that when the child wakes up, they are not getting any kind of reinforcer. Uh, The biggest thing that I see with sleep issues is that when children wake up, they either drink something or interact with someone or get to go to parents' bed. All of these things are very rewarding and will trigger a habit, basically a continuation of the behavior. So Behaviorally, I would make sure that's not happening. And then from a sensory perspective, you also want to make sure 
uh, it is completely dark and quiet. Uh, remember, our kids are sometimes much more sensitive than we are, and something you're not, you might not even be hearing it, and like a sprinkler system in the neighborhood could wake up the child or a barking yeah. dog or whatever it is. So maybe place a recorder in the child's room and see what you uh, can listen to the next day and make sure it's quiet and there's no specific stimulus that's uh, waking the child up. Yeah, we not that long ago we had somebody that did this and, and re- recognized that it was the ice maker in the refrigerator mm-hmm, yeah. in their apartment yeah. that it was dumping and that that was waking up the child. Exactly. And if they turned it off every night, the child slept through yeah, the night. It's so amazing. sometimes it can be that simple. Uh, amazing. Uh, okay, Judy says, ladies are still going strong, yes. live 44 hours. She says, my 12-year-old autistic granddaughter watched Dr. Doreen anxiety issues for her bedtime video. Aww. And she's going to email me with some stuff, so that's really good. Uh, I also want to acknowledge, Parker says, when I asked a girl and uh, I didn't take rejection well and was almost charged, um, the Night to Shine has a prom near me every year, and he also wants to know, isn't two a bit young for medication? No, not, you know, any medication that is specifically made for infants. Let's say, Parker, if you, you know, think about it, for infants, we even have medications that yeah. are approved. So they're very mild and... Uh, it is more important, I think, for the developing brain. I'm a big, as I have said, like sleep. People don't realize the importance of sleep. It's the most important thing, especially when it's a developing brain. Um, and so I really just want to help this family uh, help find ways to let their two-year-old sleep. Um, also, Parker, uh, I'm, don't... You know, don't let rejection affect you. I know it's easier said than than done, but there's not one of us who has not been rejected at some point or another. Just know that. Um, Rejection is a part of growing up and learning and moving forward. Um, And so, yeah, we, we all go through that. I think I was... I had my husband, as you know, is a big golfer, so last night when I went home, nobody was home, and... Uh, I just, all the TVs in the house were on with the, the Masters was playing. With no one home? No one home. He just, <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, so the Masters was on and they were interviewing um, Rory McIlroy, who's a very good golfer, and he was talking about failure. Yeah. And he was, because, you know, he's hoping to win this and he's come second but not won it. And he was talking about how life would, we wouldn't learn anything if we didn't fail. And, and that's something I really believe in. So, yeah. uh, you know, don't let it deter you from your purpose. Yeah, I, you know, and, and to add to that, I would say that one of the things that my mom taught me was that if you wanted something, it was okay to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to, if you were interested in somebody and wanted to go on a date with them, that to live the rest of your life and know that you asked and got rejected, it's so much easier to live with that long term than to think, why didn't I ask? Mm-hmm. And and that was really helpful to me um, in, in my life. That it's like, oh well, if that's something that I you know want to do, it's much better to get a no and know that you tried. Mm-hmm. Even as we got ready to do Absolutely. this podcastathon, which has been overwhelming a time or two, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I I said all along, I said no matter how it goes, we're all going to feel better that we tried. 
Oh, 100%. Right? Yeah. You know, that, so... Um, and I'm, I'm going to feel fantastic just shaving your head at the and end. And I'm going to feel fantastic <laughs> when you do it because I'm going to know. <laughs> I've had so much fun thinking about that. <laughs> but I, and I'm going to know that not only is it going to be great for me, it's going to be my early summer cut. So by there summer, it'll be nice and short. And um, and I've been cutting my own hair, so it's a it's a hot mess. Like, there it's all go. different lengths and things. So this is going to level the playing field. Oh it's gosh. all going to come in in normal. And and I would say to somebody, you know, because I have done this before. And, and I loved it. I loved it. I am somebody, if I could take alopecia away from somebody who's suffering with it, yes. I would. Um, because I'm not attached to my hair in the way that other people are. And so for me, it's all good. You don't have to worry Amazing. about me. But, um, and knowing that if that ends up being a way for somebody to communicate, oh, yeah, like yeah, I, honestly, I, yeah. I, I honestly, it couldn't, couldn't be a happier thing Absolutely for me agree. to do. Um, okay. Uh, 2008 says, what are your thoughts about gestalt language development, natural language acquisition by Marge Blank? How compares to verbal operants in ABA? Wow. I don't, I have not, I don't know about gestalt uh, or natural language, gestalt language development or natural language acquisition. As a psychologist, when you talk about gestalt, it's always about seeing, that basically has to do with seeing the bigger picture, seeing the overall picture. Yeah. Um, the, and when we talk about verbal operants, I, I don't know how the two would tie into each other. Verbal operants are uh, you know, very important. They are basically the, what we talk about, the manding, tacting, interverbals, and the different ways of learning language or the different steps of learning language. And I guess they all come together to form language. I, I Yeah, I'm not sure because I don't know this particular, perhaps it's a book, Natural Language Acquisition. I'm not familiar with it. By March Blank, it. that's yeah. what it sounds like to yep. me, a book. Um, I, I can only say, uh, that w- watching my son learn how to communicate as somebody was teaching it through the verbal operants was fascinating. It is fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. And then, then I would, I had the opportunity to learn what it was you guys were doing. I watched it. Uh, and it was fascinating, but then I got to learn what the methodology was for it, and that was interesting to yeah. me too. One of the things that I said this morning is that uh, a very powerful thing that somebody said to me after Jem was diagnosed, and and he lost almost all of his functional. Well, he lost all of his functional communication. He just still was able to still make utterances. Mm-hmm. So he would say dog, but he was saying it dog, 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 dog for an hour while he turned in a circle. And it was just wow. a thing to say. It wasn't, it didn't mean a dog. He wasn't seeing a dog. He didn't want a dog. He just would say dog, 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 dog until he would exhaust himself. Right, it was right, terrifying, right? right? And somebody said to me afterwards, they said, you know, well, when you think about it, the blessing of this is that as he learns each step of it, you get to acknowledge the miracle of of burgeoning language. Yes, it is true. And that that we all walk by, how many times in your life have you had a a child or a child that you know that just started talking and typically developing and started talking and we walk by it like it's not a miracle. Yeah, we don't even, yeah. It is a miracle when a child learns language and begins to speak any child and and we all walk by it like it's nothing 
And when you have a child that's on the autism spectrum, you are forced to acknowledge the miracle of growing language. Absolutely. And to see the little pieces and how you guys built this platform upon which his language developed to the point that it is now was fascinating. It is. It is because when you think about it, you know, you dog is a great example. Let's talk about that. Like just, uh, there's so many different uses of, I'm trying to figure out how to say this best. So we, you know, in typical children, when they learn language, mm-hmm. they, they learn the vocalization, but they connect it to multiple different uses. Yeah. And uh, with the verbal operants, that is what we teach. So, for instance, if a child now wants to see a dog yeah. and says dog, that is one use, which is manding. So yeah. they're requesting a dog. If they suddenly you're in the car and driving and they see a dog passing and they're like, dog, that is just labeling, which is tacting. That's a completely yeah. different use. Or if you ask the child, you know, which animal barks and they say dog, that's an introverbal, which is a completely different use. So I think the um, important thing about teaching language is that it's not just teaching specific sounds or vocalizations. It's and that's the difference between speech and language. It's about teaching the use of those speech utterances in multiple different ways yeah. um, so that it, it becomes functional and useful. And can I add to, because one of the things that they did, because his favorite food when he was a baby was hot dogs. Mm-hmm. And so they had him, when he would start with the dog, dog, dog thing, uh, it was the really pretty much the only time that we used food as a reinforcer because I was a stick in the mud about that. I was a miserable person. You would have hated me. Um, but I, they would have me cut up little pieces of hot dog, and then they taught him how to say dog to get the hot dog so that he wasn't just going in a Around circle saying. and it took on new meaning for him. Yep. Um, but then eventually then we talked about the furry dogs too. Right, right. But, and they started with dog and then dog became hot dog and then it would be more hot dog and I want more hot dog or more hot dog please and then eventually I want more hot dog please. It was... And that's just manding. And, and that was just manding for a dog. Right, right, um, right. So, uh, yeah, it was fascinating. It was... I... I always referred to ABA as the autism miracle in my living room. And it felt like a privilege to see what happened. I'm so glad. And to see the people who, well, they were all people who you trained. So, you know, thank God for you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of fantastic people who are just continuously adding to this field every year as well. So it's wonderful. And I love them too, but I love you first and best. I love so you. There. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Andrea, who's right on, on topic here, says, my son is in ABA 40 hours a week. Go, Andrea. Great. He is three and a half years old. In addition, I am using language for learning at home with him. I can get him to uh, answer questions like, what is this? But getting him to say, this is A, I'm having issues with. Mm-hmm. Any suggestions? Yeah. Um, it's so funny that we discovered that just a visual prompt uh, goes a really long way. So, for instance, try, even if he can't read, it doesn't matter, try using the words, this is a, and then a picture of the object. Um, and just, and then point 
to the thing. It shows him there is more than one response. Another thing is you can hold up three fingers, and, and, so, and when you do it, this is A, and then have him do it. A visual prompt, and then you can remove the visual prompt gradually, will definitely get him started on this. Okay, Lou ZC says, my kiddo with ASD is five. He's receiving full-time ABA. I would love for you to clarify what that is because sometimes people say, my kid is getting full-time ABA and then I find out that's eight hours a week and I lose my mind. Tell us um, how many hours. For a three-year-old. Um, but, and I don't remember, Lou C, uh, what age also. It says five. Oh, five, of course. That's, <laughs> I have that. See, there goes the executive functions right there. Uh, he's receiving full-time ABA and also speech therapy. I'm in the process of getting approval from my insurance company for OT. When I go to his OT assessment, what should I look for to understand if the OT provider is providing good OT or bad OT? Mm -hmm. My kid has severe food restrictions, mm -hmm. eats baby foods, um, of 30 per week, has tactile dysfunction, refuses long sleeve shirts, jackets, coats, clothes with tags, pants, smells, and most foods make him gag or vomit. Mm -hmm. Lots of sensory issues. What should I look for from the OT provider to ensure it is good OT? That's, That's a great, great question. Great question. And I see that Over further down, she said 30 hours a week. Good. That's great. That is almost full time. Very good. So, um, I First of all, I want to say that most of the time parents like yourself who are this involved and, you know, engaging in this kind of dialogue with us here, you instinctually will know that it's the right person or not just by observing how they interact with other kids as well. Um, but in your case, you've made it pretty clear that we're looking at two different sensory issues. One is... Um, oral motor, perhaps, because it has to do with food and textures in his mouth. And that is a feeding therapy program. I'd, there are some OTs who are trained in this, but you shouldn't expect the typical sensory integration OT to be trained in feeding therapy. Speech pathologists are more trained in, in feeding therapy, and ABA folks are as well. So that's a separate thing you should look for. We talked about that a little bit yesterday, and it's about... Uh, it's a it's a process of increasing texture and always rewarding the amount and so on. So it's 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 a shaping uh, process. In terms of the, the tactile issues that he is having, uh, you know, specifically ask the OT to do an evaluation first of all. So if they know to ask you the right questions and if they know to test out different things with your child, that's a good sign. And, uh, you know, if, even if they don't, and once you tell them, hey, he has tactile issues and he doesn't like any s sleeves or any uh, contact with his body, and ask the OT, what do you suggest? What exactly would you do to help improve this? And if it makes sense to you, you got to do it. And it should be some form of gradual exposure, obviously. But, you know, that's I when I evaluate OTs, I always just want to see them work with the child for about an hour. And then I want to see if I am getting what I expected for the child out of that hour. So I think, uh, you know, you know the issues, go into it, observe, let the OT interact with your child and see. I want to know, uh, my question mm -hmm. here is, why are you having to go through your insurance company for OT? 
Why is it not happening through the school? Um, Because normally the school is the one that provides that. Well, it depends. Uh, It's also possible this child is not in public school. But I have honestly found it easier to go through insurance for OT. Really? And speech. Okay, this is news to me. Because a lot of us get it through school. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so interesting. Okay, that was my question. Pamela has written in and says, I have twin boys who are autistic. Both can make three-word sentences and can spell both their names differently. Please, how can I teach them to make more sentences? Um, do you want them to make more sentences in speaking or in writing? Because you're talking about spelling, so I'm not sure. I think you want them to vocalize more. But she says we're in Switzerland. They have no ABA here. Uh, just play therapy with one hour of speech session per week. Yeah. So I happen to have a lovely previous uh, person that used to work for me uh, who is a behavior analyst in Switzerland. She is in Lausanne. Mm-hmm. And she is a wonderful, very, very talented clinician um, who does ABA and also consults with families, I believe, all over Switzerland. And I think by now she's been forced to learn French. Uh, <laughs> her name is Rachel Leonard Bozard. And I can, I think I gave you her number at one point. I can try to find it again. Okay. And if you write in, we'll help you with that. But um, I... I you know, it's not it's not something that I can tell you just on a show in regard in regards to adding, improving or increasing language. I mean, every, uh, the there's eight different areas that we work in when we're do, using ABA. ABA is kind of like a tool and you can apply it to any different area of learning. So you can use it to teach language. You can use it to teach self-help skills social skills, whatever it might be, academic skills and so on. So if you're talking about language, um, that's our biggest area of focus. And so there's literally hundreds of lessons uh, that go into expanding a child's language, uh, which as we just mentioned some ways that we teach language. But if you look at the curriculum, there's, you know, everything from labels to actions to prepositions, pronouns, attributes, functions of objects, locations, occupation. I mean, there's hundreds of, of lessons. And as you teach these, you like, for instance, I'll teach an object, but then I will also teach colors, let's say. And then I will put it together. And as you mentioned, Shannon, gradually expand it into not accepting shorter responses, but now teaching the child to describe things in more detail. But this is, you know, I'm in a in one minute explaining something that is a three or four year project. So um, instead of doing that, I don't want to I don't want to do that incorrectly. And at the end of our book, Evidence Based Interventions for Children with Autism, at the end of it, there's an appendix. Um, that lists some of these lessons, but it doesn't go into describing them, and I'm really going to make sure that I publish something that describes these lessons a little bit better because there's so many people asking. 
There you go. Uh, Jennifer says, my 16-year-old was diagnosed as ASD one year ago. They think ABA is bad. Do you think there are benefits of ABA for someone that age? Not sure if we should try to uh, convince them or if it's a moot idea at this age. And and, uh, who is they? The the 16-year-old? The 16-year-old. Yeah, uh, um, two years ago. So they were only diagnosed at 14. Uh, well, no, I do not think. I think ABA is effective and can be good for anyone at any age if it's done right. For a person who was only diagnosed at 14, that means that their level of functioning is so high that it, it wasn't interfering with their life until, let's say, 12 or 14. So then you're not so much going to be looking at strict ABA. Certainly, you're not going to be doing discrete trial, which is the more structured form of ABA. If you're doing any ABA, it's more what we call natural environment training, and it's very natural in the environment. But I also think, and depending on the skills they need, there are certain absolutely some skills that they will learn best through natural environment training of pure behavioral procedures. Um, Otherwise, I think you should be looking at cognitive behavioral uh, therapies because your your child uh, may very well be at the level that they can uh, understand and benefit from all those very kind of abstract cognitive uh, processes. So it's either natural environment training within the umbrella of ABA or it's cognitive behavioral training or therapies. So uh, I want to say, too, about this 16-year-old thinking that ABA is bad. There is a huge uh, controversy right now around ABA because there is a a relatively small group of self-advocates who are very, very vocal about uh, saying that ABA is not kind. It is, uh, they will make it akin to... uh, Abuse. uh, Well, abuse, but also um, trying to... What's the phrase for when when people try to pray away the gay or conversion therapy? Conversion therapy. They will compare it to that. And I'm just noticing and picking up on the fact that you're using the term they, the pronoun they, because if they are 16 and they are moving in a community where people are using the pronoun they, I would not be surprised if they have heard that. I see. And that is very, that would be very concerning to somebody who is saying, I would like to use the pronoun they. Um, And I think, you know, there are lots of schools of thought about this. Um, I want to say that I, I try to be really respectful of everybody's opinion about everything. Yeah. Everybody's entitled to their opinion about something. And there are people who have come forward and raised their hand and said, I feel that ABA ther- therapy was abusive to me. And I always want to listen to those individuals and listen to what their experience is. And my first response to those people is, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, And I want to hear from them what they have to say. But then um, my next response is to say to them, 
I, I hope you will understand that the, the therapy that I'm advocating, I would never advocate what happened to you. I would never advocate that you be traumatized because I think that is the right response. I personally think that's the response when somebody's been traumatized. I'm not into talking anybody into changing their mind about what their personal experience is. But I do think that there are many people who have heard that story and then decide for themselves, even though they know nothing about ABA, well, then it's all bad. Mm-hmm. It's all bad. And and mm-hmm. I disagree with that kind of black and white thinking. But again, people are entitled to their opinion about that. In the next hour that we have coming up, uh, we're going to be joined. Uh, it's a takeover hour by um, Dr. Justin Leaf from the Autism Partnership Foundation talking about a term called progressive ABA, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is how they're delineating ABA that is very individual-based and takes into consideration the, the individual. I, I am at the point where it's so frustrating to me because it's like knowing that there is this amazing thing that's out there that can help so many people, mm-hmm. right? And wanting to talk about that, but trying to be mindful of the fact that some people are, are saying that they had a negative experience. The only thing that I say to people is... Uh, when we think about, if think about everybody who ever went to public school, and and I, I do this always oh, yeah. in a big in a big room of people, and I'll say, how many of you ever had a, a traumatizing experience at public school? Yes, individual, not you heard about it from, but and and almost the entire room raises their hand and says that they've had at least one traumatizing experience in public school. Yes, and my question always is then, why aren't we trying to stop public school? Yeah, why aren't we trying to shut that down? Why don't we all just decide that all public school is bad. If everybody has had a negative experience, Mm -hmm. why don't we shut it down? And the truth is we don't shut it down because we understand that all public school is not bad. Mm -hmm. All public school is not traumatizing. And we try really hard to make sure that people who are doing traumatizing things aren't doing it. We also don't say to the people who had the traumatizing experience in the school, no, you didn't. Yeah. Because that's not right. Yeah. Uh, And and I I want to I love your the way that you express that because I'd not th- thought about that in that way, right? I I want to give you a different way that I think about it as well, having been in the field of ABA for a very long time, and I want to say that um, you know when I <coughs> excuse me when I grew up I grew up in England, and I uh, if you did anything wrong you would get spanked with a yeah. ruler. Yeah. And, of course, that doesn't happen anymore nowadays, right? So things change, obviously. And it is true that years ago, you know, they were using uh, electric shock even in in behavioral therapies. And then after that, they were using, I mean, Lovos used to sometimes come into our clinics and, you know, pull out this big wooden spoon, which was for punishing the individual. And the field of ABA has advanced to the point where everyone has come to realize that punishment is not an effective, as an effective tool as reinforcement. And therefore there are ways that, you know, first it was called positive behavioral interventions and gradually over time, Almost all ABA became completely positive behavior intervention. Huge studies were done, I think, back in the, let's say, 90s even, or 80s, 90s. There was a huge task list on whether or not 
aversives should be allowed. And you know what? The result of the task list was that, yeah, they should be allowed because sometimes aversives are used to stop more injurious behavior. And so uh, those are the, you know, but my point is that ABA has evolved. Yes. It's just like, you know, a a principal used to uh, punish you with a gigantic ruler. That doesn't happen anymore in school, right? So because it happened back in the 60s doesn't mean that we stop school. School has evolved, yes. as you say, and ABA has evolved and will continue to evolve. Yeah. And so it's really, when we talk about ABA, and also the other part of ABA is that so many people use it in different ways. So yeah. that's why Shannon and I are always talking about good ABA, because it's a matter of... Are you learning everything? Are you including the best that there is in ABA? Is your program the highest quality and so on? And and then I think it's important, yes, for the individual to understand. But I, w- I want to say this, like, as a parent of a child who is not yet an adult, you should also have a say in what you feel is appropriate for them as their guardian, um, and as someone who has a different perspective, and you know, it should definitely you want to listen to the individual, but you also want to have a, a, some comment on it. But I, I believe that there's common ground here. She wrote back and said, "Correct, they are non-binary, yes. and and we're good at masking." <clears throat> Um, and now feel like they should be accepted as they are and thinks that ABA would try to, quote-unquote, fix Fix them. them, And none of us wants to be fixed. I don't want to be fixed. Do you want to be fixed? I do want to be fixed. You want to be fixed. And I want to talk about that because that is a really important thing for me as a psychologist. Okay. Because my entire field is about helping people get fixed. But not fixing. I, you know, and that's a, that's a, uh, language issue, okay. right? It's similar right. to recovered. It's a language yes, issue. But it's tied to emotion. But it, say, it's what, very say tied, what it is it's that very, you, because say what mission you're on. So, you know, the mission that we, healthcare workers, whether you're mental health or physical health, it is about, to me, fixing something that is not working for you. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. So whether your heart is not functioning and a cardiologist works on your heart to improve it so that it functions better for your life, or your mind is not working in a way that helps you live life and thrive, and a psychiatrist, psychologist, neurologist is working on that, or a behavior analyst yeah. for that matter, it is about change. It's about change that's adaptive. And if we all as human beings just said, this is what it is, I refuse to change, society would not, the world would fall apart. We all change. We learn through school. We learn through observation. We learn through failure. We learn through modeling. We learn. And that's what this is about. And you can refuse to learn. You can. You certainly can refuse to learn. But your your position in society, how far you get amongst other people, the successes you will have, all of those will be affected 
by your refusal to learn. But here's the filter, because I see where the filter is coming from you in, in, in this mental health care, um, you know, arena, and I'm an educator. Mm-hmm. So where I'm coming from is the educational standpoint that, um, you know, I, I don't want to change who I am, right? But I want to learn things, and mm-hmm. I want to learn and grow. Absolutely. And I always give the example that if I learn to speak Chinese, mm-hmm. then that's new and fabulous. And I am a, I have this new skill that I can go and do, but it doesn't change who I am. Absolutely. And so that's where I'm coming from is that, and the example, for years when we used to go to autism events, um, parents would walk up with their kids and say, can you please explain to this older child um, why, what autism is with their little brother? They want to understand what the difference is. And the thing that I started saying, if the child was old enough, I would say, do you understand computers, how computers work? Yes. Do you know the difference between a Mac and a PC? Yes. And I would say, okay, they both can do a job, right? But they process in different ways and different speeds. So you're a Mac, your brother is a PC, but we're going to give you some apps so that you can understand him and we're going to give him some apps so that he understands you. But you're still a Mac and you're still a PC. Right. That's all. and, And the other, and I love that example. You always have given me that example and I love it because it's really great. It's a good example. But what if you're a Mac and the rest of the world is PCs? Then you need apps to be able to adapt. Exactly. That's, and that's, but that that's doesn't change what you, what you are. It doesn't in any way change who you are. It doesn't change your personality. It does, it's not intrusive. In fact, you can even choose to remain a Mac and not interact with the PC you world. You can certainly choose that. And all, all I'm saying is that it isn't about... Uh, first of all, it is something that, you know, it, it's for your benefit if you choose to to learn those apps that will help you communicate with others. Yes. Because only if it's to your benefit. Well, that's that's humanity, right? Yeah. If you go back to Darwin, everything that we do is is because we've adapted to where yeah. we are right now. We need another hour to talk about this, and, and we're we're taking our friends' time. Oh, I yes. have to. We have to end, but we can. It's conti- perfect we, timing because it, the next now they're going to talk about awesome, good quality ABA. It. So here are the winners. If you if I say your name, you've won. You have to email me. I, I will put it into the chat, and then we are going to go. I apologize to Autism Partnership Foundation. We went over, but here are the winners: Jennifer Sorez, Adam Tazlitz, Val Cohen, Lee. Sean Taylor, Zoe Jeffries, Carla Burke, Pamela Odian, CJ Ramos, Trey Adair, and Autism Journey with Elijah. You've all won a $25 gift certificate from Discovery Toys. You need to email me, Shannon, at autism-live.com, but I will put it in the chat. Thank you for this spirited two hours. We're ba- You're back in uh, another back couple, in of hours. couple of hours. Yeah. So, And I'm back in the hour after this with Let's Talk All the Things with Rachel Bird. But first, we have the Autism Partnership Foundation doing their takeover right now. Don't go anywhere because you'll want to hear this conversation in light of what we just talked about. Take it away. Don't forget, you can watch Ask Dr. Doreen live every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific time. We hope to see you there. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off 
my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.